This is The Open Word with Pastor David Landry. David is the senior pastor of Calvary Chapel Casa Grande in Casa Grande, Arizona. I'll let every one of us, myself included, that passion of the first saved, of the newly saved. Man, freshly knowing, my sin is forgiven. I'm on my way to heaven, but I've got a job to do while I'm here. And as long as I'm here, I want to serve Him. I want to be a light for Him. I want to, I want to, man, I want to blast through the darkness that's here. I want to be used by the Lord in every aspect of my life. And the things of this world just really don't matter anymore. The goodness and the character of God are beyond words. Time and time again, God calls out to us that we would come to Him. And instead of returning to God so often, we run from Him in fear that He might smite us. So often we completely misunderstand Him. God's love is so great that instead of smiting us like we deserve, He poured His wrath out on His Son. And still we misunderstand Him, but He continues to call out to us, Return to me, and I will return to you. Let's join Pastor David in the book of Malachi, chapter 3, verse 1, for today's study. Well, as we've been going through Malachi, I've shared with you that uh, this was the last word of God for like 400 years until John the Baptist came. So for 400 years after the prophet Malachi declared his message, no other prophet stood up. No other prophet was able to come and declare, thus saith the Lord. No other prophet was moved by the Spirit of God to come and speak to the hearts and the lives of the Jewish people. Now, was that because they got it? Yeah, yeah that, that Malachi spoke and they finally straightened themselves out and they didn't need it anyway? No, no. I, I believe it's that kind of a deal where, again, God had spoken to them and spoken to them and spoken to them. And they still didn't get it. And so he, in essence, kind of pulled his hands away and let them to their own, in essence, demise, their own direction. These last couple of chapters here in Malachi, as, as, as hard as the first couple of chapters were, Malachi, well, let me back it up, the Holy Spirit doesn't let up at all on this. And he keeps speaking to us through there. In chapter 3, beginning in verse 1, Malachi speaking for the Lord, or the Lord speaking through Malachi. Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. Even the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight. Behold, he's coming, says the Lord of hosts. This, this first messenger that we see at the very beginning, this messenger that the Lord is going to send by way of preparation, we know now in retrospect that that was John the Baptist. That John the Baptist came, prepare a way in the desert, make straight paths. Every valley shall be filled, every mountain shall be laid low. Declared that message, came and declared the message of repentance to the people of Israel. And literally and truly, a spiritual revival started happening through the message of John the Baptist. I believe that that's, that spiritual revival really started happening is because they had not heard anyone speak by the power of the Holy Spirit for 400 years. It's like living in, and uh, pardon my expression here, it's like living in a desert place 
like Casa Grande all your life, never ever getting out of Casa Grande your entire existence, and then suddenly you are airlifted to the Pacific Northwest. And it's like, wow, there's life, there's green, there's water. It's amazing the difference. The unfortunate thing is people get used to existing in spiritual deserts. They get used to the fact that this is just the way it is. God doesn't want us to get used to that. God doesn't want us to to get used to not feeling his presence, his power, not experiencing his word coming alive in our life. God wants us to have that in our life. And the Lord says, I'm going to send my messenger before me and he's going to prepare the way. So that, that, that revival that began at that point. And, and again, this is kind of a side note, but you know, during that time of John the Baptist ministry, the religious people, the, the, particularly the religious leadership, they got all bent out of shape because he began rocking their wagon. He began, again, uh, uh, speaking and, and doing things that were so totally foreign and so different from what they had just gotten used to. They had just gotten used to going through the motion, going through the routine. And then John the Baptist comes on the scene. Thus saith the Lord, repent, repent, repent. The kingdom of God is at hand. And that's what he's speaking about. I'm going to send my messenger. He's going to prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. And just as we see in the New Testament, the arrival of Jesus on the scene really and truly takes everybody back because they're not expecting Messiah to be who Jesus was. Jesus was Messiah. But that's not the Messiah they wanted. They wanted the Messiah that was on the uh, the white steed and, and and the big sword and the shield and was going to go and slay all the Romans and all the all the enemies of Israel and set up a new kingdom right there. That's the kind of Messiah that they wanted. But yet, how did their Messiah come? He came lowly, riding on the a donkey, the colt of a donkey, lowly and humble. He says, this Messiah whom you seek, he's going to come, and he's going to suddenly come to your temple. And that day, that triumphant entry as he came, the religious people weren't expecting it. The religious leaders weren't looking for it. But if you remember, the people got pretty excited about it. I believe, too, the problem was that the people, even then, they were still anticipating, oh, yeah, he's coming in on a colt right now, but as soon as he gets in there, then he's going to take charge. Then he's going to you know, take care of business. But again, he came as that suffering servant at that point in time. The Lord whom you seek suddenly is going to come to his temple. Even the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight. And remember, we've been talking about covenant. Last week we talked about the covenant uh, that, that the Lord gave and, and again how they had profaned the covenant that God had, had given to them and how the people had walked away from it. Though God was upholding his part of the bargain, the people were walking away. The people were denying the truth of the covenant. He says, even the messenger of the covenant whom you delight, behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. In an ordinary sense, you would think, that's great, good, he's coming. But then the message really gets down to the reality of where their hearts were. He says, but who's going to be able to endure his, his, his coming? 
And who's going to be able to stand when he appears? Listen, all, all my life, all my saved life anyway, since uh, 1970 when I came to Christ, you know, I've, I've heard and I've said multiple times, oh, even so, Lord Jesus, come quickly. Come quickly now. Come right now. Come right now. People that I know that have, you know, again, been in, in Christian churches anticipating, expecting the coming of the Lord. But I often think in my own life, Am I really ready for the Lord to come? Or is there a lot of business that I really need to get squared around still before he comes? Are there things in my life that I still need to surrender? I still need to lay down. I still need to give up to him before he comes. He says, who's going to endure the day of his coming? Who can stand when he appears? Because he's going to come in like a refiner's fire. I was watching a little video on uh, refining, and they were actually doing aluminum, which is not a very hot fire to do and to work with aluminum. But can you imagine the fire that is needed for precious metals, the, the, the heat of all of that that's, that's needed? And that refining fire is who our Lord is. He's going to come in like fuller soap or like launderer's soap. And we spoke about this. I pulled over here earlier on in Malachi, and I told you that it reminded me of like when I was a kid and my grandmother used to help give me baths. Okay, I was a real little kid, okay? It was like a little bitty toddler. But it seemed like she would just scrub me like she was taking skin off of me. That's the picture I get of that, again, that that work of, of him coming in like a refiner's fire, like launderer's soap. He says in verse 3, he will sit as a refiner and a purifier of silver. He will purify the sons of Levi. He will purge them as gold and silver that they may offer to the Lord an offering of righteousness. He's going to sit as a refiner and a purifier of silver. Now, I've I've, I've heard this story. I've, I've not been first person contact with it, but I've heard the story of those that have gone to refineries, I guess particularly small refineries, refining silver. How do you know when it's done? And the one tending the refinery says, is when I can see my image clearly in the silver. So in other words, all the dross is taken out, all, all the junk, all the, all the garbage that's there, it's been cleared out, and I can clearly see my image in it. And isn't that what we're supposed to be for the Lord? He's supposed to see his image in us. How much of his image is shining through you tonight? How clearly can he see himself in each one of us? Do any of you have any more refining that needs to be done? Yeah, yeah. He says, I'm, I'm, he, he will do it. He says, I will sit as a refiner, as a purifier of silver. I will purify the sons of Levi. You're my Wednesday night crowd. Who were the sons of Levi? What was their purpose? They were the priests. He's going to purify the priests. Because, again, if you remember earlier on, the priests were the one that got nailed first. Because of the way that they lived, the way that they acted, the way that they uh, acted toward the altar of the Lord and the sacrifices of the Lord. How they, again, not only lived their lives, but also how they served. But you'll remember, as we talked about that, we also shared the fact that in the New Testament, who are the priests? This is a test. 
We are. We are. We are. Okay? So it's not, it's not that the, uh, the paid staff, the pastoral staff, the missionaries are the priests. Oh yeah, they are priests, but then so are all of us together. So I look at this and I say, okay, Old Testament time, I see what he's saying. I know what he's saying, but also I need to bring that into this New Testament time. So can I stand back and say, well, he's going to purify, uh, all the Levites. He's going to purify, is he going to purify one tribe of uh, Israel that's left? Is he going to purify just a group of people that are called in a particular ministry? No, I believe that he's going to purify all of his people. Now, beloved, I know that when we come to Christ, we are washed in the blood. We are cleansed. Sin has passed away. Past, present, and new. It's gone. We are clean before the Lord. We stand. I understand that. But I also know that in a practical day-to-day sense, there's still a lot of purifying that needs to be done. There's still changes that need to be done. He's going to purify them, purge them as gold and silver in order that they might offer to the Lord an offering in righteousness. In righteousness. All through the Word, we find these situations where, again, going through the routine, going through the the ritual, Going through, uh, again, just that, that whole idea of, of, of religion. And yet at the same time is coming from unclean hands. The word says, who can ascend to the Lord? Who can stand on his holy mountain? He who has clean hands and a pure heart. Our offering, our offering before the Lord, an offering of righteousness. Can we do that even now? Yeah, we can. But pastor, I, I, I fail, I fall. There's, there's still cha- uh, cracks and chips in, in, in this vessel. I know, but again, the heart of the matter is where the Lord is looking at. The heart of the matter, our lives being lifted up before Him in righteousness. He says in verse 4, then, it's then that the offering of Judah and Jerusalem will be pleasant to the Lord as in the days of old, as in the former days. In other words, you know, you, you guys used to get it right. You used to, and, and I take this and I, and I, I bring it back to, to again, where we're at in, in our situation, in our culture. And so many people, when they first come to the Lord, they're so on fire for the Lord, so desire to serve Him with a whole heart and nothing else really matters. And I just want to serve Him with everything that I have. And year goes into year, goes into year, and suddenly, this piece of luggage is packed on and suddenly this weight is added on and suddenly this distraction is brought into life. Oh yeah, I love the Lord. I still want to serve the Lord. Maybe the passion isn't as great. Maybe the, maybe the, the, the heart isn't pure as, as it was. It's not as focused as it was because suddenly there's a lot of distractions. There's a lot of things in life. And what the Lord had said, man, I, I want your offering to be pleasant before me as in the days of old, as in the former years. What was the complaint? What was the, 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 the claim that the Lord Jesus gave in the book of Revelation to the church of Ephesus? Lost your first love. Does that mean that they were lost? Does that mean that they were no longer saved? No. 
But that means they've kind of lost their direction. They lost their focus. They lost their drive and their passion. Oh, that every one of us, myself included, that passion of the first saved, of the newly saved, man, freshly knowing, my sin is forgiven. I'm on my way to heaven, but I've got a job to do while I'm here. And as long as I'm here, I want to serve him. I want to be a light for him. I want to, I want to, man, I want to blast through the darkness that's here. I want to be used by the Lord in every aspect of my life. And the things of this world just really don't matter anymore. As in the days of old, as in the former days. But then he says in verse five, I will, and I will come near you for what? judgment. Wait a minute, pastor. I'm saved. I don't get judged anymore. No, your works are going to be judged. Wood, hay, and stubble, gold, silver, precious metal, that's going to be judged. Some of our entire lives are going to be burned up like that. And we'll be saved, though, as by fire, the word says. It says it'll be a swift witness, but here he says, He's going to come in judgment against the sorcerers. It's interesting that the, the very word sorcerers there in the Hebrew is those who whisper spells. Whisper spells. Against adulterers, I think we know what those are. Against false swearers or perjurers. And again, a really interesting word there. The word that that is uh, translated as perjurers or false swearers in your translation, in the Hebrew, uh, it, it has the concept of, catch this, it's a weird phrase, seven one's self, to seven one's self. You think, well, what in the world does that mean? That means, in other words, you are repeating a declaration seven times in testifying that what you're saying is true. So in other words, you repeat it seven times with, again, making that declaration that what I'm saying is true. And if it's not true, then you are a false swearer to swear your testimony. We go to the courts today. We swear that our testimony will be true. And what happens if it's not true? We are perjurers. We are false swearers. God judges against that. He says, I'm going to judge against those who exploit wage earners. And again, the thought and the idea, that idea, uh, and I love the word pictures of it. It says, those that drink up the wages of the laborers and of the widows and of the orphans. In other words, yes, I, I've got all of this and it, it's due you as, as a laborer, but you know what? I'm going to keep it to myself. And so they're not, they're not dealing fairly with, with even the people that either work for them or even with the widows and the orphans. And what does James say that pure and undefiled religion is this, but that you care for who? The widows and the orphans. You see, that's a New Testament and an Old Testament declaration there. Problems in both. Do you think that maybe there were still problems in the New Testament with dealing with widows and orphans? Uh, absolutely there were. Do you think today there's problems with dealing with widows and orphans? Absolutely. I don't think that we, you know, that's the, the there are some jobs that the church ought to shine in. That the church ought to be the one 
that's taking care of these things. And you know what? Earlier on in this country, that's exactly the way it was. Also in England, earlier on, that's the way it was. Orphanages were run by Christian organizations or by churches. But states got it now, right? Yeah, the states got it. No, I think we shirk our responsibility by not being involved in those things. Against those who turn away an alien, a foreigner, even a stranger, those that turn away. And you've got to think, you've got to understand, again, the mind, the concept of Israel in that day. Israel in that day had been told when they came out of Egypt to go into this land and destroy everyone else, destroy all these other tribes because of their wickedness, because of their vileness, because of their paganism, because generation after generation after generation they had been involved in these practices. And God said, you need to clear them out. And so Israel got this mind, this concept then, that anything that wasn't Jewish was bad. And you don't deal with that at all. But now we're talking, well, you've, you've taken that so far that now a stranger has come into your midst, a foreigner has come into your midst, an alien has come into your midst, and, and you're turning them away. You're, 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 you're refusing to help them and assist them. And he says that those who do sorcery, those that do adultery, those who are perjurers, those who exploit wage earners and widows and orphans, those who turn away the aliens, they all do that. Why? Because they do not fear God. Because they do not fear me. And, and we've, we've talked about that many times, this whole idea of fearing God. What does it mean to fear God? It's not that we're, you know, shielding ourselves because we're afraid God's going to whack us at every turn. But it's that awesomeness of who God is. It's the reality of his greatness, his majesty, his power, all that's, all that's real about God. And because of that, I want to be found obedient to him. I don't want to be obedient because he's going to whack me. I want to be obedient because he is God and he's given me life. Because even as a believer now, because of, again, the love that, that he has demonstrated to us in giving Christ, I want to be obedient. I want to serve him out of love. But these, man, they have no fear. They have no love. And there's going to be swift action that comes. In verse 6. Now, you got to catch this. Up here in verse 5, he's talked about all of his judgment coming against. It's going to be a swift witness it's going to be a swift judgment but then in verse 6 for i am jehovah i am the lord i do not change in other words it's not that god just finally got tired of the bad people and so finally he's going to do it no that was his plan that was his that that's the direction he was going all along because now you look at his uh, understanding of of israel the sons of jacob he says because i do not change Therefore, you are not consumed, O sons of Jacob. Yet from the days of your fathers, you've gone away from my ordinances, and you've not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. And i got to read this, but you say, in what way shall we return? In other words, what they're saying, what do you mean, I'm gone? Where did I go? I'm right here. And again, it's that, that, that foolishness of, of, of them again questioning God's judgment and correction on their lives. He said, you better be glad that I don't change. 
Because otherwise, I would have wiped you out a long time ago. But because I am gracious and merciful and long-suffering, and because I did call you as a people to myself, because even as I shared the other day, he is, is betrothed to them as, again, his bride. He says, therefore, I will not destroy you. We hope that today's edition of The Open Word has been a blessing to you. If you live in the Casa Grande, Arizona area, we want to invite you to join us for worship. The messages that you hear on The Open Word are produced from worship services at Calvary Chapel Casa Grande. Maybe the teaching you heard is exactly what you're looking for in a church. Then please join us. We have services on Saturday evenings and two Sunday morning worship services, as well as other services throughout the week. For more information about service times, including driving directions, log on to TheOpenWord.com and then follow the link to the church website. Now, we want to be sure to tell you how you can get a free copy of this teaching. Simply log on to TheOpenWord.com. Our website has today's message available for you to download. For more information about The Open Word or Calvary Chapel Casa Grande, we encourage you to log on to TheOpenWord.com. Remember, at the website you'll find quite a bit of information about The Open Word and a link to the church website. So log on to TheOpenWord.com today and get to know us better. We wish we had more time today to share more of Pastor David's message, but we've run out of time. From all of us here with the production team, we want to say thank you for tuning in and may God richly bless you.